I want to open a three-part series uh, for the edification and growth of the church um, with an unpleasant theme. And the theme, and don't, don't go too far with this until I get into it, the theme of the series is entitled Unfortunate Events. And I say this is an unpleasant theme because it will explore some of the unfortunate Yes, even sometimes unpleasant things that Christians do or are often accused of doing that might contribute to the lack of growth or the lack of health in a church body, or it could for sure, and it could in basically any church. You see, in every church there are characters, and wherever there are characters, there will be character flaws. Now, I know this doesn't apply to our church, and that's why I'm happy to be able to present it to you this morning, because you're sitting, you know, in a perfect church, of course. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, there are some character flaws in specific which tear apart the very fibers that hold a church together, the things that cause a church to grow, the things that cause a church to be healthy and to be productive for the kingdom. Now, these are the characteristics, and I don't think they will be uh, foreign to you. I don't think they will be news to you. They're things that people do that destroy other people's faith, or they're things that drive people away from the church or any interest in the church, uh, and that's the one place where God can be experienced, or it should be, and experienced in a life-changing way. And so a series of unfortunate events that occur in congregations, I would say around the world, the unfortunate things that Christians do today and in the weeks to come, I want to talk, Lord willing, about three, and I think we can stop there, and we'll have lots to work on. I want to talk about three of the most unfortunate events occurring in church life today. I've been studying uh, some words and some meanings and some context lately, and I've really gotten interested and I've been pointing things out to people. Of all the words used in the public discourse today, I've concluded that there is one word that has been, is being, and continues daily to be for the past, I'd say, 18 months or a couple years, maybe more, been used by people in almost every walk of life. I hear it in conversation, I hear it in the press, I hear it in social media, uptown, downtown, I hear it in political speak, I hear it in the, from the well-informed, I hear it from the, the, the ill-informed, a word which used to be mistakenly reserved for religious characterization. But now it's open season, it's open game for every facet of human life. Not only religion, and particularly Christians, but also politics, business, entertainment, sports, law, medicine, journalism, relationships, family, education, and I could probably name 50 to 100 more. It is overtaking our society and its language use. I sat and watched just a little piece of a show last night at halftime uh, on a different station, and th these couple of guys were being interviewed, and I pointed out to Barbara, I said, uh, I'm going to point out one word, and I want you to watch in the next five minutes how many times it's either used or flashed up on the screen. And I want you to see 
how many times you hear it, use it, read it, say it in the next, say, 24 hours. It'll amaze you. The, the word. What is the word? What, what's the word? The word is hypocritical. And it's derivatives, of course, hypocrite, and, it, and hypocrisy, and it will astound you if you camp on this word and study it for a couple of days. So the first of the unfortunate events that could and might happen in a church or with a Christian life is, number one, hypocrisy. I turn your attention to the 23rd chapter of Matthew, the words of Jesus. He's speaking to the spiritual leaders of his time. Interesting, and Pastor Todd in his series has already pointed this out, but if you really want to understand a lot of the things that Jesus says, listen to him when he's speaking to spiritual leaders. And here's what he says in Matthew 23, starting at verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Then he gets direct. You hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. End of quote. Jesus, you see, had a problem with hypocrites in his day. And he has a problem with hypocrites today. You see, hypocrites have been around forever, and to some degree, every one of us is a hypocrite in some area, perhaps, of life at one time or another. Unfortunately, hypocrisy is one of the most damaging events in today's church. I remember the story of the businessman who'd been away on a, on a business trip, and uh, as he came home, uh, as his plane pulled in, the passengers were dismissed, of course, and there was his wife standing at the gate waiting for him. So they made their way down to the baggage claim area, exchanging pleasantries, and just as they were getting close to the baggage area, an extremely attractive flight attendant walked by, and suddenly the husband came to life, and beaming all over, he said to that uh, flight attendant, I hope we can fly together again sometime, Miss Jones. She just kind of turned and grinned and kept on walking. Just then, the wife asked the question, how did you know the name of that flight attendant? <laughs> uh, the husband is kind of cool guy, and he plays it off, and he says, well, her name was posted up like on the, by the front of the of the cabin, right under the names of the pilot and, and the co-pilot and then the flight attendant. You know what the wife said next? Oh, really? How nice of you to notice. Tell me, what were the names of the pilot and co-pilot? Busted! <laughs> the man's hypocrisy was completely uncovered and his true motives were revealed in an instant. I go back to what Jesus said in his comments about hypocrites. He was fed up with hypocrisy in his day because, you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees appeared righteous outwardly, and inwardly their motives were evil. 
they did more to drive people away from God than to lead people to God. That is not good. Let me tell you what hypocrisy did then and what hypocrisy still does today. It tends to drive people away from the God they need to know rather than drive them or lead them to the God who loves them and who, whom they need to know. So these Pharisees were experts at appearing good from the outside when they were actually unfaithful on the inside. You see, even when they fasted, which was a, which was a normal spiritual exercise for uh, people then, they would pretend to act like they didn't want anybody to know. They were just really humble. They were just really quiet. But they would disfigure their face or find some roundabout way for others to find out so, so they could be praised for their great spirituality, for their fasting. You see, that is hypocrisy. In Matthew chapter 6, and starting at verse 16, we see Jesus popping up here again. It seems as though many people were keeping up with appearance, but Jesus had to confront the issue publicly. He didn't go to them privately. He, he said, for instance, these words in Matthew 6, 16, 17, and 18. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done as secret, will reward you. Jesus was fed up with disingenuous hypocrites in his day. And he's fed up with them today, too. Be careful. He said, if the reward you want from fasting or any other spiritual exercise is just admiration from other people and you want them to brag on you, then you'll probably be successful at getting what you want. But in so doing, you will forfeit the real reward that God has for you in that exercise. My friends, if you pray, if you fast, if you're longing for, to hear from God, for someone or something or some situation. Don't throw your blessing away by telling your peers that you're fasting or that you're doing this or that you're doing that. Make it a secret between you and God. Don't exchange the gifts of God. Oh, thank God for uh, Facebook now. We can put everything out there. There are no questions left and to be answered, and everybody can know everything we're doing every second of the day. This is not pleasing. The answers to your prayers and the reasons for your efforts, for the praise of men, if that's all it is, then that's all you get. The danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful. I love that, that, that statement. The danger of hypocrisy is that it's so successful. It, 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 it aims for the praise of men. That's what it shoots for, and it succeeds. But that's all it does, and that's all you get. Hypocrites play a game. They play the game for worldly gain, for recognition, for self-gratification for the moment. But deep down inside, they're miserable. They're unsatisfied. They're unfaithful. They don't know how to take the next step. And bringing it down to where we're living today, down on, on, on Main Street, if you will, do, did you know 
that hypocrisy is among the top ten reasons, it's probably the top five, why people don't come to church or even get involved, ones that are here in church life? When they're asked the question, why don't more people go to church, people say, because church people are hypocrites. Hypocrites. When I would hear that, I would very, very politely say, well, the church isn't full of hypocrites. There, there's, there's still room for one more. And you see, they say things like, oh, these Christians or churchgoers or Bible thumpers, they, they, they have that holier-than-thou attitude. Mm, they've got it all together, yeah. So you go in that place and some people don't even speak to me. I've gone in there three or four times. Nobody ever made any effort to make me feel well, welcome. And when I do sit there, I just figure everybody's judging me. I just figure... You know, everybody's got their eye on me. You know, I figured this out long ago. To hide behind a hypocrite, you'd have to be smaller than the hypocrite. True or not, is that the image we want our neighbors and our friends and our associates and our family to have about us? No. I want my neighbor to have a genuine relationship with me and in turn a relationship with Christ. We don't want to drive people away from the love of God, do we? We want them to come in. We want them to feel accepted. We want them to know love. We want them to be appreciated. We want them to know that this is one place where they can come to encounter God and his people who should be a true reflection of who he is. Even a church full of hypocrites can make a good first impression, <clears throat> but it's that lasting impression of sincerity and caring that leaves the deepest mark, and that's where we need to focus our attention. If we want to grow as a church today, and we do, and we're poised for that, and we're healthy, I believe, in that regard, then we need to think about how do we grow. How, I love that second last song that we did about humbling our spirit and bringing it all to him, and he's the master of everything, and we just need to be humble and know that. If we want to grow as a church, my friends, with the blessing of God, then we need to be a place and a people where folks feel genuinely accepted and loved. And the way they're going to feel genuinely accepted and loved is if we genuinely accept and genuinely love them. Yeah, but he hurt my feelings. Yeah, but she doesn't speak to me now. Yeah, well, they're mad at me and been mad now for 13 years. Yeah, well, maybe it's time to break the cycle. Maybe it's time to be the bigger person. Maybe it's time to be sincere. Maybe it's time to take on that humbling role. We need to get rid of even the appearance of anything that drives people from the place of worship and fellowship, especially that thing called hypocrisy. So how do we alleviate the unfortunate event of hypocrisy in our lives? Well, I guess if we want to understand how to alleviate it, the problem we should try to 
is that we should try to clarify what people mean when they call Christians hypocrites. So what is the definition, and what definition are we going to adopt for this lesson and for this series? Well, I thought this one would be simple, plain, and easy to understand for me, so hopefully it would be for you too. Hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that we don't really have. Or in other words, it's falseness. You see, people who profess to have a higher standard of living but aren't living by it are hypocrites. People who pretend to care about others when they really don't are hypocrites. People who put on a show of righteousness to keep up appearance for others are hypocrites. Today's word is fakers. According to the opinions of many people, churches in our age are experiencing a crisis of hypocrisy. They lack genuineness. They go through the motions. They profess to believe the Word of God, but they aren't very good at applying it to their own lives. And unfortunately, the result of Christians who live in a manner contrary to their professed beliefs is condemnation. See, not only to themselves, but also to the people around them. They're, someone said they're like black holes, sucking in all the glory and the light for themselves, trapping anything and everyone that comes nearby because they profess the truth. Their lives say it doesn't really work. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we represent God, and then we live contrary to his word. We are telling the world that his word doesn't really work. They scoff and they wonder, how can it work in my life if it doesn't work in theirs? How can anyone expect it to change me when obviously it hasn't changed them? What God's children really need in all the spiritual orphans in the world today is sincerity and genuineness. Christians who will experience friendship and who will experience acceptance and who will experience love. Look, even when it's uncomfortable to do so, not accepting of sin, but of sinful people who need Jesus, People who will love unconditionally like Jesus. Genuine people with pure motives. People who will show as much about Jesus by their way of life as they do with their words. And they'll show others how to live a life pleasing to God. I can remember a pastor telling the story. I was amused by the story, but the principle and the theme of it is, makes a lot of sense. He told the story of going into a popular clothing outlet in a big mall. Probably we've all done that. He said, I think he was in his late teens, maybe early 20s. And I'll tell you when it was. Some of you will remember. MC Hammer was in style. Okay, hit a note there. I knew I'd find a Bible verse that you'd know. 
he, the, the pastor said, back then, I wanted some of those baggy pants. Well, you, know, you know the pants that he means where the crotch of the pant is way down between the knees? And he said, I, I, thought that, I thought that was cool. Those massive hammer pants. I'm not going to ask how many tried them. So he thought that would be really, really something great to have. Now he said, don't know if you notice, but in those big clothing stores, those outlets like that, there's always at least one really pretty girl that works there. And he said, this girl became my best friend when I walked in that day. I found those pants made out of some ridiculous material. I, it looked like sackcloth. I don't know what it was. So he said, I tried them on. And when I came out from the dressing room, from the, the area where I had put them on, I, I saw myself in the mirror, and I looked hideous. I mean, a skinny white boy lost in those massive hammer pants. But the sales clerk said, oh, they look so good on you. So she must be right. She's the salesperson. She was so friendly. And I walked out of that store into the mall with a brand new pair of sackcloth baggy pants. What a sucker. She was probably laughing all the way to the bank on that one. She didn't have my best interests in mind. She didn't care that I looked like an idiot in them. She just wanted to close the sale, and she succeeded. He was motivated by a pair of pants because in those pants, he thought he was going to feel accepted and approved and really cool. But it wasn't genuine. And later on, he felt bad about the decision, for he said, I would have preferred genuineness to a sales technique. And he said, it would have saved me a lot of weird looks in that mall. But every day, people are being bombarded by sales techniques. I am. You are. Every day, friendships are forged with the hope of personal gain to close a deal. Every day... We get, uh, we get these solicitations, telephone calls, texts, emails from the nicest people who would, who would like us to buy their product. But the moment they know we're not interested, they would hang up on us without even saying goodbye. The world is full of insincerity. The world, world is full of fake concern. It's full of, uh, of a lack of, of genuineness. People are tired of it. I believe people are just getting sick of it. People are ready for more genuine activity. People are dying for genuine relationships that are real and lasting and meaningful. They're, they're selling their names and their services on, on eBay and, 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 and other places that are too numerous to mention. One man... One man offered to pay, listen to this, and I'm quoting, any family who would take him in and treat him like a family member of their own. 
I hope you've never gotten quite that desperate yet to put an ad out in the paper or online like that. So I'm saying, when I read that, I thought, well, okay, so if he gets what he wants and he finds that family, will he find happiness? Will he find genuineness from someone he has to pay to act like they care for him? I'm going to tell you my opinion. I don't personally think so. But people are starving today for acceptance, for reality, for honesty, and for love. You see, it's easy to love for personal gain. But Jesus showed us the example of unselfish love for others. Is there still unselfish love in this world? And and before you even think of the answer, let me answer it for you. Fortunately for all of us, the answer is still yes. It starts with Jesus. And it ought to continue on through churches full of genuine Christians, just like you and you and you and you. Each one of you, I could go around and point to every one of you. I thank God for each one of you, and I thank God for your sincerity. You see, I want Faith Community to be the lighthouse in our region. I want this place to be a hospital for hurting people. So let's be the most genuine, loving place people can come to and meet God. Let's be neighbors who care, really care. And let's see what God can do through a group of people who really, truly, honestly, genuinely care for those around them. So I'm sure you're going to ask, how do we get rid of the hypocrite factor in our lives? Well, I'm going to give you a couple ways. Three to be exact. First, start with transparency. And to do that, you have to tear down the facades and be real. Why do people put up fences, put up facades to appear to be something they're not? Well, I'll tell you why they do it or why we do it. It's because we've got something to hide. We want to show most, but we don't want to show all. Hypocrites have a lot to hide, so the facade goes up. This is me. That's what they're saying, but it's not really me. If you've ever gone to a back, on a backlot tour in a place like Hollywood Studios, MGM used to be, or Universal Studios, or anything, any place like that, you'll realize that most of the stuff you are seeing in the movies and on the TV shows is a facade. It's fake. There's nothing behind that laugh and plaster. There's no substance, just the appearance of what seems so. Behind the Hollywood set is a mess, usually of cameras and cables and cords and lights and filters and you name it. Even in the news industry, half the time, the news anchors, all he's all dressed up in, in his jacket and tie and he, you know, has got a nice sharp, crisp shirt on, he looks good, but probably that's where it ends because he probably has jeans or jogging shorts on under the desk and you'd never know it because you can't see it. See, they have you fooled to imagine that if half of it's there, then it must all be there. Too many Christians are counting on the fact that you'll imagine they've got it all together if they put up a good enough facade. 
They're not really all there. So they put up the facade, and in doing so, they drive good people away from the Lord and away from the church and away from the faith. Look, we can't afford hypocrisy. God needs his people to be transparent. What does that mean? See-through. See-through. Look, when the blood of Jesus Christ washed your, your dirt and your filth away, you know, you should have nothing to hide. Huh? That's all under the blood. That's all gone. You should have nothing to hide. Transparent, see-through, genuine. God will put you to work building his church and increasing his kingdom when that happens. So often the cart's before the horse, and we need to get the horse before the cart. And here's how. Consider the human soul more valuable than personal gain. You know the best disciples put Christ's interest before their own? Interesting, uh, Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 2, and he's writing about young Timothy. And in verse 19 and 20, here's what he writes. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, but I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, like Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. I love those words. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Look, even in the early church, disciples were, were rare who actually looked out for interests other than their own. And I say to the church today, it's time for us to widen our scope and look out for others. More and more people today observe their faith in Jesus until it becomes inconvenient. I've watched them by the hundreds over the years. And then, sad to say, the church, the ministry, the mission, and the church family are out the door. So sad. Have you noticed there are a lot of social walls built up today? You see, people are generally happy with their own little world. It's hard to get any, any stranger to say hello back if you say hi to them or even smile at them. People are reluctant to let anybody new inside their walled world. So we need to look for new ways to get them in. God has given us resources in this church like very few churches. And we just need to be wise in how we use them and we need to use them. Christians, church, look for opportunities to reach out even when it hurts. And then the third way that we can counteract hypocrisy is to remember that genuineness never gives up. Christians, some of your neighbors and family members are giving you an ulcer. I know they are. You're prematurely gray because you worry about them all the time. You have a love-hate relationship with them. They talk to you sometimes. Just don't give me that religious stuff. Because they won't get their life straightened out. That bothers you. And you're not getting, and they're not getting the big picture of what life and eternity is all about. And you're frustrated. I understand that. 
because they're rejecting the very one thing that can save their soul and enrich their life. Don't give up on loving them because they haven't come along in the time frame that you set for them. Oh, Lord, forbid that our attitude about life and about family and about friends and about neighbors be, well, if they don't want this product that I'm offering, this Christianity, then I'm hanging up on them. I'm done with them. Don't ever let yourself get to that point. If you give up, you're casting doubt on God's love for their life and eternal future, and you're even casting doubt on God's power to save. People need Christians to be consistent and caring, especially to that neighbor who thinks all Christians are hypocrites. And they're not, because people are tired of artificial acceptance. Acceptance in so much as they convert, and they get baptized, and they become like us. And where are they? What happened? They need acceptance for a long time, regardless of the sinfulness, and the Holy Spirit will begin to work through that situation and bring them to their knees in time. For our, the, the, the Bible says, for unless the Lord builds the house, the workers or the laborers labor in vain. I'm going to wrap it up by saying this. Jesus never gave up on you. Don't give up on them. Jesus never gave up on you. Don't give up on them. People all over need you. Christian, are you hearing me? They need you to be real. They need you to be genuine. They need you to be consistent. They need you to be willing to lay down your life for a friend. Not just or always the friend of your choosing, but a friend of God's. Together, here's what we can do. A little bit better all the time we can do this. We can learn and keep learning to love people. And if we do that, we'll kill the hypocrisy. That's unfortunate event number one. And then we'll get on with the Lord's business of growing the church and furthering the kingdom and ministering to people everywhere in every walk of life. That's my goal. I hope it's yours. And I hope that you with me would be willing to take just a moment or two before we dismiss to take an inward look at self this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of of these words of Jesus that unless we love him and serve him and stand for him with our whole heart, our whole being, that we're really not showing forth a consistent testimony. And that's what we want, and that's what the world needs to see. And so, Lord, we're going to just take a moment now and just we're going to be quiet and ask you, God, to search our hearts 
and to weed out any hypocrisy that's there, even something we may not have thought about until today. And now we've got the Bible backing this thought, and we have to deal with it. So, Lord, convict and change us in these moments, we pray. And Lord, may we be a church full of people who are consistent, caring, sincere, loving. And may we do it for you, Lord, because we know we live these lives of ours as an act with an audience of one, and that's you. We live and we long to please you with these lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.